Good morning. This day of great sorrow for the Floor Bixler household and great joy for some other households in this church divided by basketball, where we remember that we are all one in Christ. Um, I'm not quite at the point of rejoicing with those who rejoice, but give me a couple couple more days. All right. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, in the 1930s, owners of rock mines, like mines, would sprinkle gold dust around those rocks to make their property appear more valuable to speculators. It's from this practice that labor organizers started to use the term salting to describe the intentional decision for miners who were already a part of unions to take jobs in ununionized mines. They had a purpose for these jobs. They wanted to help organize the miners into unions. And as they worked, salts, as they were called, they talked about the poor labor conditions they were experiencing. They also suffered under safety hazards. They expressed their concerns about that to the miners. They would point out the long days, the black lung disease, the servitude that was created through this system of credits where everything you got was from a company store, so you could never really repay food and lodging and provision. And after a time, after talking about what they saw, after saying something's not right here, they, were, they would talk about unions, about the ability to organize, to have a different kind of life. And they'd shown that they were in it with the miners, that they were willing to subject their own bodies to those same dangers, that they would help the organizers even as they lived exactly like them. Salting actually still happens today. Um, Karen was my research assistant this week with this. Salts took jobs at Amazon and Starbucks and provided insight about organizing tactics and how to support the efforts of long-term employees already there. It's actually a strategy that has probably aided the unionization that we've seen in the past couple of years. Giving up your liberties, giving up your freedoms in order to get down in the dirt in the same circumstances as the people around you. It's the same sort of thing we hear in today's reading from Corinthians. Paul explains why he's out here doing what he's doing. This Jewish leader willing to work with anyone, willing to sling lattes or pickaxe rocks in order to share what's happened to him. He doesn't want to get paid for that work. And he doesn't need some of the other things that the apostles need. It's not because he's better. It's just different for him. He has an obligation to share, or as the King James Version says, a necessity. Because something has happened to him. Some good news has befallen him. And now he's a free agent of that good news. 
If you've been around church much at all, you're likely to recognize this next part. To the Jews, I've become a Jew. To the weak, I have become weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. Well, what the heck does that mean? (laughs) And honestly, on the one hand, it might sound kind of slimy. Because pretending to befriend someone only to do this bait and switch, that actually makes authentic relations impossible. It also instrumentalizes people, maybe even dehumanizes them. They just become pieces in this game that we're playing. If you come in with an agenda, but that actually negates the possibility of learning or growing, of becoming like the people that you are around. One other piece of this saying that may be kind of shifting our perspective on it is when our temptation is to pull out pieces of moral or ethical teaching from these couple phrases, as if this is a handbook for something like how we do evangelism. Instead, we're invited to remember that Paul is using this example for a specific church, for a divided church. These are examples that actually he doesn't need to apply out there. He's using them to help this community in here figure out their life together. He has something to say to this particular church of Corinth that is racked with class divisions, falling into factions, the wealthy refusing to turn their lives towards the poor. One thing we learn in this letter is that Paul works as a laborer rather than being paid for his ministry, like me. And we discover there's a reason for this decision that Paul makes. Paul does not want to be under the patronage of the wealthy people of Corinth. He decides against entering that system, and instead he works that jobs that many of the upper-class Roman people find demeaning. And that is the point. He isn't indebted to the wealthy people of Corinth. Instead, Paul is indebted to the gospel. The strong folks of the Corinthian house church were almost certainly taken aback when Paul said he was willing to embody the work and the habits and the social status of those who are socially weak to those who were Jewish and outside the common conceptions of economy and social life that animated the Roman system. Downward mobility was just as popular in the ancient world as it is today. Giving up opportunities to socially advance, missing out on on important meetings with important people, cutting off the expansion of business clients. None of this was the life that ordinary Romans aspired to but it was the life of Jesus. When I was growing up, I would often hear and was deeply inspired by the stories of wealthy college-educated folks who would move into these impoverished neighborhoods to share in solidarity with them. I thought, this is it. This is the thing that Paul had in mind when he talks about being all things to all people. 
But as I followed those stories, I began to notice something. The idealism of these projects, they pretty quickly wore off. The urban missionaries weren't prepared for the violence in their neighborhoods. They realized that the schools to which they would end up sending their children were pretty subpar. Neighborly relations were fraught with suspicion. Almost every one of these experiments fell apart within a couple years. It's not like that for Paul. There's actually no going back. It was very easy to fall down the social ladder of Rome, and it was almost impossible to climb. In an economy that's built on respect and knowing social rank and ingratiating oneself to the powerful, snubs like the kind that Paul is talking about, these are not temporary life decisions. Paul makes a set of choices that cement his social class and his future. And that does not seem like a big deal to Paul. <laughs> because there's something more significant in his life. There's something that means so much more than that. Because he has been found by Jesus. He's been found by this good news. The first time in the gospel that we hear Jesus proclaim what he says is the good news, it sounds like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Y'all, these are not spiritual metaphors. This is real. This is material. This is the stuff that we do with our lives every day. Jesus puts down the scroll and announces... Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. And then people get real mad. But then Jesus does it. He will spend the rest, the rest of his achingly short life, releasing real people, flesh and blood people from captivity, turning over hierarchical systems, getting rich people to give up their money. That is a miracle, people. And all of that, all of it is bound up in a form of life that says, I refuse the powers and principalities of death and destruction. Paul can only talk this way because this is how he lives. This is how he lives. That life is one that's bound up in worship and prayer that is sustained by the common life of other people who have found their way to this good news, who have found it was always there waiting for them. Which is to say, we find out in this letter that some of the folks of Corinth still need some saving, right? They've been given all this freedom. Freedom to break from these abusive sex cults of the Corinth temples. Freedom to break away from punishing social relationships. Freedom from bending their knee to the empire. And some of them are still acting like they are enslaved. Because they are still learning to be free. This is a letter 
a letter about how we learn to be free, how we learn to get free. These are words for people who are still figuring that out. And friends, that is every single one of us. Because we also come to discover the further we are on this journey of being friends with Jesus, the stunning truth that learning to be free, that is a whole life's work. Amen.